Hello, and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Kate. I'm Aaron. And we will be learning about national anthems. Each week, we choose a new country at random, we learn a little bit about the country, and then we listen to their anthem. After listening, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up in our humble opinion. Now, we don't want you to think that because of the title, we're huge fans of O Canada. In fact, we plan to dunk on it pretty much constantly throughout the show, and we do not expect it to finish highly in their rankings at all. So today, we are picking up on part two of Italy. Yeah. Where, as you may remember, we left things off last time, um, right after Italy became finally a unified nation state in March of 1861. This was kind of a long time coming. And as we'll see, like contributed to the way that Italy was able to participate in the 20th century. Okay. Basically. Um, So... Because they were sort of late to the party in terms were, of becoming a country. They were very late to the party. And it, it meant they were kind of delayed in terms of some of the industrialization and technological advances sure. that other countries had. Like England, for example, at this point has a hugely powerful navy and like all kinds of stuff going yeah. on for them. Italy doesn't really, they're not quite there yet. They're knocking on the door to the party. They have not yet been let in. Okay. <laughs> we will see this. Especially in World War One, World War Two, they were able to participate a little more fully, but we'll get into it. Yeah. When we get there, some stuff has to happen before then. So after unification, we see the rise of more left-leaning political parties and progress in terms of education and universal suffrage. The Catholic Church really suffers in this period because they had previously controlled those things. Education and welfare had been the church's department. Yeah. And now these things are becoming more secular. And more political, there's sort of political issues instead of religious ones. Right. Um, so the church has a minute of like, what do we do now th- that we're not doing that? Now that church and state are starting to be separate things. Exactly. Yeah. And people are like kind of into it. They're like, oh, that's all right. We can do, we could do those two things separate. Um, there's not a lot of people talking about the days when the church ruled everything. Like, ah, no. those good old days. <laughs> like, No, that's true. That's true. Um, people are coming around to it there is though also kind of the hairy issue of land ownership Um, land previously owned by municipalities is at this point sold to private owners which causes problems because now those people have to afford things like mortgages and taxes Mm -hmm. previously people had used common like municipal land as just kind of a place you could go and get stuff you could go get some wood you could get some berries you could hunt some stuff and no one was no one owned it so it wasn't They were going to come after you for trespassing or hunting their deer or whatever. But now suddenly it's like, oh, we can't just go there anymore. And a lot of people end up buying just to find out they can't afford it and sell again. This also causes deforestation because suddenly it's not common. It's your specific part of the land that you are then just going to go and possibly strip. Um, So there's not much left there. This is done, as we see, without much regard for the common good or large-scale farming and that kind of thing. We also see a lot of social change in the 1870s and 80s as emigration really catches on, and a bunch of people move to the U.S., Brazil, and Argentina looking for jobs. There's also the emergence of a steel and textile industry, 
and a law that finally forced people to go to school a little bit. Right. But but also, it's a bit of a a half-hearted law. You only had to go to school for two years, and no one really enforced it. Okay. So much of the population... More of a suggestion yes, that you go to school like for two years. We recommend <laughs> that you go to school and learn to read. But people weren't really doing it, especially in the South. Okay. It was mostly agriculture. Everybody was farming. Nobody was that interested. But then as people are emigrating, a lot of those that were leaving were illiterate peasant types more sure. than you know, the educated elite or anything like that. But there's maybe a bit more education going on in the North. Yes. And they're at least like trying to make something happen there. Sure, yeah. Um, the success of which, I don't know if you have a whole country with a second grade reading and math level. Like, it, it's you better than nothing. Yeah. It's better than nothing, but it's it's not super high standards either compared to certainly our like 12 years of mandatory schooling. Yeah. Um, so there were also technical schools for things like engineering and accounting. And unlike today's colleges, these were quite highly regarded. Um, it was it was cool if you went there. Okay. It was good. Your parents would be proud of you. They also had universities to train um, doctors and lawyers, which, according to Britannica, the supply really outpaced the demand for once. Right. The country was full of trained doctors and lawyers and not a lot of place to put them. Uh, we also see in the 1890s a growing anger and social unrest as... Sort of socialists, unions, and anarchist groups gain traction as food prices go up and the economy kind of suffers overall. People start getting mad about that. Around Um, what year is it now? This is 1890s. Okay. Yeah. And finally, there are so many protests and uprisings that the army is called in to kind of get everybody back in line. And government leaders, this is not super smart, try to restrict people's civil liberties without going through parliament. They just kind of Declare it. Yeah, make it happen. Ether, yeah. Um, so in 1899, <laughs> there are a bunch more socialist protests culminating in the Constitution essentially falling apart. In 1900, a general election is called to kind of sort out this mess, um, in which it is made overwhelmingly clear that people are leaning left. They they don't want a right wing government anymore. Uh, two kind of left leaning parties called the Radicals and the Republicans, just to keep it confusing. Win a combined 62 seats compared to their previous 51. Well, Republican, too. Like, it, it's a word that gets sort of twisted from a North American perspective totally. because we all think of the Republican Party. Yeah. But, like, we're talking about Republican as opposed to monarchist, yes. where certainly exactly. Republican is the left-leaning view. Exactly. Yeah. And Italy remains a monarchy for a long time. Yeah. They have a king for... Like, that. that's a commitment there. Um, so there's... As you say, it's all relative. Yeah, just in um, this context, Republican doesn't mean what it means in today's It doesn't mean Donald discourse. Trump, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Uh, so this leads to some good social reforms, finally, like ending child labor, which a plus for that, uh, and providing limited maternity leave as well as housing for seniors, water and sewage management, and public transit. This is kind of great because suddenly a lot less people are dying of water and or like sewage contaminated cholera and diseases that kind of right. thing sorry that was a very bad sentence waterborne diseases <laughs> like cholera <laughs> caused by <laughs> not managing your sewage properly there we go it also means that there's much lower infant mortality 
which is great. For yeah. a while, a lot of people were dying before the age of five, and that's not great. Well, and that's certainly... Like, there tends to be a, a misunderstanding with, with people where you look at what average life expectancy was in the past mm. and assume that everyone was dying at 40. But no, people were still yeah. living to 70 and 80 and whatever. Maybe not 90 and 100 quite as much, but mm -hmm. it's just that infant mortality rates were so yeah. much higher. Yeah, and it drags the it down. the whole average gets dragged down. For sure, for sure. Uh, however, the south of Italy still remains poor compared to the north, and this, again, like boosts emigration to North and South America. In 1914, Italy was a member of the Triple Alliance, and here is some grade 10 trivia for you. Who else is in the Triple Alliance? Do you remember? Um, like, as the war of the Triple Alliance? L yeah, like, as it comes into being. Um, like, we're talking about South America, no, no. This is I'm... this is like World War One Europe stuff. Oh shit! I'm thinking of the War of the Triple Alliance, Sorry, which no. is a whole different thing. <laughs> Not um, that. No, I'm totally confused. So it is Germany and Austria Hungary. Okay, right. Of course. I didn't yeah. remember this either, though. So we're all good. I was trying to figure out how the fuck they got involved in the War of the Triple <laughs> Alliance, which no, no, different thing, <laughs> different Triple Alliance. We'll just stack that one with all the treaties of Berlin and. <laughs> get on with their lives um so italy though has not some some sort of shaky history not getting along super great with austria hungary so people weren't that excited about um getting potentially dragged into a war with them on their side they were mm -hmm. like yeah that's kind of that's a little sketchy i'm not sure about that so at first so are germany and italy like do they have at this point a, a history of like diplomacy and and stuff going back just because Italy sided yeah. with Germany in both world wars like N no no they I were with the allies in the first one. Oh, I thought you were just saying I'm confused now they're gonna it, we're getting there okay we're gonna talk about it I'm totally it. just mixed up then <laughs> it's okay uh, it's confusing and the world wars especially from from an Italian perspective, I imagine to study it must be utter chaos because yeah. there were there were parts of this where I was going like month by month yeah. to try to figure out the heck who was happening and who all was involved. So Italy at the beginning of World War One remains neutral. Then in 1915, Italy signed something called the Treaty of London that was a secret at the time, but now obviously... Right. Everyone knows about it, um, in which France, Britain and Russia promised Italy a bunch of land and they were in doing this, giving them a much better deal than what the Austrians had proposed. OK, beforehand. is this land that's being held at the moment by Germany and Austria, Hungary then? I think so. OK, I think so. And the idea is that they'll all go to war. And at the end of it, Italy will get some stuff that they like consider to be theirs. Sure. Um, whether you agree with that or not, I'm not going to get into it. So Italy joins World War I with the Allies about a month later, hoping to see this deal come out good for them. The main Italian front in World War I is along the, the mountain border shared with Austria-Hungary. It's about 600 kilometers long. Keep in mind that Italy has like only just become a unified nation. So they are not industrialized in the same way as these other countries, and they are not really like ready for a war. They just kind of go ahead and do it. Sure, they wouldn't be the first country in history to go to a war they weren't prepared <laughs> Certainly for. Certainly not, but it's almost like they didn't even think about it. They were just like, yeah, cool, okay, let's do that. I don't know. <laughs> um, so they have 
the troops, but they are not able to equip or arm them, essentially. They sure. have bodies, but... But not... Weapons? Armaments, yeah. Who knows? So the fighting for them does not go super great. There are a couple of stalemates and one like really good thrashing by the Austro-Hungarians in the Battle of Caporetto. Some 615,000 Italians die fighting or later from wounds. It's not good. Jesus, also, the World mountains, War One is so brutal. brutal. And the mountains, too, make it really hard to do anything. You can move anything. It's, Absolutely, yeah. The weather conditions are terrible. It's just... It, it was bad. It was bad. Well, the Alps were famously... You know, one of the really fucking hard things about invading Rome. Yeah. So it's it's also not going to make it easier going out. It's <laughs> no. not like they're one-way mountains for some reason. No, yeah. that's true. Um, I think, though, this is not the Alps. I think this is on the other side. Oh, okay. Because the Alps is shared with France, right? I kind of thought they went all the way across, more or less. Oh, maybe they do. Maybe they do. Anyway, there's some mountains. Yeah. We can look it up later. And then after the war, there's a bit of a scramble for Italy to kind of get everything they were promised in the Treaty of London. They're like, hey, you told us we were going to get that. And Britain's like, oh, no, sorry, I guess we'll do what we can. And yeah. it's a bit of a mess overall. They get some parts, but not everything. And that just leaves like a bit of a bitter taste in everybody's mouth. They're left with a lot of anger towards the Allied countries, which leaves the country, like, wide open for everything that happens in World War II and for our dear fascist friend, Benito Mussolini. Right. And he comes in fairly soon after World War I. He's swooping right on in. We yeah. will see him very, very shortly. Dear friend. Good guy. Friend of the show. <laughs> Hitler's buddy. Anyway, we're not quite there yet. So the economy after World War I is in rough shape. They've just been trashed by this war, and it's not looking good. Unemployment is really high because soldiers are all coming back and they can't get work, and the Italian currency is basically worth nothing. There are agricultural strikes at harvest, which means that no one has any food. People are also striking for higher pay and also causing delays and service issues in things like railroads and mail delivery. So basically the whole thing is at a standstill. Right. Uh, there's a bunch of riots and looting. Socialists walk out of parliament in protest of the king. This continues through 1920 in what is called the, quote, two red years. Red, of course, being associated with socialism and communism and contrasted with white for the Catholic Church. Um, so in January 1921, the left splits, which essentially then just splits the vote, weakening the socialist side of things. And again... Just like opening the door and laying out the carpet for fascism. <laughs> um, as a side note, anybody interested should read the Antifa comic book, which is not like the easiest read, but I found gave really good context for sort of anti-fascist movements here in Italy and in the States and in uh, Spain and just kind of contextualizing the whole thing in a way that I had not understood it previously. So if you're interested, check that out. Well, and this, this is simultaneously happening, too, in tiny little San Marino over in the mountains yeah. where, like, they've, if if Italy was late to the party, like, San Marino showed up after it ended kind <laughs> of thing, they're still fucking sharecropping at this point in time. Yeah. And as the government starts to be like, oh, shit, maybe we should, like, 
make moves towards being modern, mm. these like wealthy sharecropping landowners immediately turn to fascism. Yeah. So like certainly it's happening more gradually and more subtly across the whole of Italy, but we can look, I think, at San Marino as this very fast concentrated microcosm of the same sort of yeah, trend. For sure. For sure. So Mussolini, when he shows up, was originally a socialist journalist. After World War I, his views changed and he started his own nationalist newspaper. Mussolini's party did not get any seats in the 1919 election, but it did sort of gain a foothold in politics in 1921. Late in 1921, Mussolini is elected leader of the fascist National Congress on condition that he end a previously signed agreement with the socialists, which was a whole like strategic sure. thing that he only did so that he could then sign this thing, being like, abolishing it, basically. Um, then Italy, I thought this was worth mentioning, doesn't have a roaring 20s in the way that we did in America, or... I was going to say, I don't know that that's as much a European trend as it is an American trend. Yeah, so I think I'm just a little caught up in my, like, little Canadian history bubble yeah. here. Um, but they don't get that. They go straight from, like, bad to worse in the 20s and 30s. Okay. Um, workers under Mussolini are banned from forming unions and from striking. Um, the economy is terrible because of the Depression. Vatican City is finally made a sovereign state in 1929. And at this point, also, the U.S. chooses to limit immigration, which keeps a lot of the poor people who would have gone instead just sticking around in southern Italy. People running Mussolini's administration and in big industries do great in this time period. They are rolling in money and of privilege course. and everyone else and small businesses are like, what about us? And it just doesn't matter. Hitler starts to gain power in Germany. And Mussolini, like, initially, is not 100% on board for Hitler. Um, well, Hitler's sort of, like, cribbing a lot of Mussolini's ideas, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mussolini is concerned that... I, I can... Not to, to give any sympathy to Mussolini, a <laughs> uh, good friend of the podcast, but, like, I can see why he would see Hitler coming up and just be like, oh, this fucking copycat, like... yeah. For sure, for sure. He's also worried that Hitler's going to go to war and take over Austria, which he thinks should be part of Italy. And he's worried that Germany's going right. to get it instead. Right. Um, he doesn't obviously want that to happen because they already didn't get everything they wanted in the Treaty of London from yeah. before. And he's like, oh, it's just going to be the same thing all over again. So you can see why he's a little hesitant. However, he agrees to form something called the Stressa Front with Britain and France to try to stop German expansion in 1935. Okay, so he's not really that buddy-buddy with Hitler. Not yet. Even, like, right on the edge of the war breaking out. Yeah. Okay. It, it takes him a minute. Don't worry, though. They're going to be great friends oh, in just for a sure. second. <laughs> I, I thought it went back a little further than that. No, it all. seems at the beginning he was quite hesitant um, and I think really worried like, about... Like, even to the point of... of sort of tentatively allying with, with Britain and yes. France is, is the part I'm surprised about. Yeah, Italy's going to do a whole flip-flop flip-flop, flip-flop in yeah. World War II that's quite fascinating, really. Um, so at this point, we're going to talk a little bit about Italy and their colonial endeavors, which we did not discuss previously because, again, they were a little like late to the colonial 
party, not a party. Anyway, um, so the article I read about this was published in 2020 and accused Italy basically of not acknowledging its colonial past. Specifically... I mean, I would accuse most countries of not really acknowledging Italy's colonial past. Yes, and (laughs) Italy kind of getting away with it easier than other countries have. This specifically... They certainly do have a much shorter history of colonialism than most countries. It's going to get pretty horrific, though, don't you worry. Oh, no question. You can do a lot of shit in a short time. Indeed. Indeed. Um, This is also kind of in... As a kind of counterpoint to the Black Lives Matter movement... When that happened, a lot of, in, like in 2020, obviously it's been happening for a long sure. time. When the big one happened in 2020, and uh, it forced a lot of places to kind of have a reckoning with their colonial pasts. And Italy kind of didn't do that. They okay. were just like, yay, Black Lives Matter. And that was the end of the conversation. According to this article, again, you can have uh, different opinions and I get it. It's up for discussion. Their first colonial exploits were in Eritrea in 1882 and then shortly after that, Somalia. They tried at this point to conquer Ethiopia, but were like absolutely pummeled. Well, I think to, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Eritrea broke off from Ethiopia. Yeah. You might be right. I didn't really look into it. That's okay. I I might be totally talking out of my ass, but I think that's the case. Okay. I trust you. You you know better than me, probably. (laughs) Uh, Then in 1911, they take Libya as well. Mussolini takes it upon himself to, like, do some more work on the colonial front, finally colonizing Ethiopia in 1936 using chemical weapons, I believe mustard gas specifically. Right. To just kind of eradicate the population. And I believe one of uh, Switzerland's enlightened neutrality positions was to be the first nation to recognize Italy's mm. annexation of Ethiopia. Cool. Cool. Uh, they also take Albania in 1939. It is estimated that about one million people died over the course of Italy's sort of African exploits, um, especially in Libya and Ethiopia, where they really loved the executions, torture, incarceration, and general use of concentration camps. That was all fairly common. And seemed like a good idea to them, I guess. The idea... I mean, look at who they're going to be siding with yeah, in a sec. No, it's true. But anyway, the well, idea... I guess probably have sided with by 1939. Yeah, but yeah, this like gets a little bit ahead, and yeah. we're going to back up a bit to talk more about World War II. But it seemed appropriate to take a minute here. Um, like it's just knowing what's about to happen. Yeah. It doesn't seem that no. shocking that they're fine with this. It's not shocking, but with it's concentration camps and mustard gas, but it's still bad. It is. Absolutely. They also only admitted to using chemical weapons in Ethiopia in 1996, Jesus. which is very recent up until then. They were like, no, we didn't do that. Y- yes, they did. Nothing that happened in world war two should only have been admitted to within my lifetime. No. I think that's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> I agree. I was I was like shocked and surprised to see that Jesus, it was Jesus, that's brutal. It was that recently. Um which again contributes to this article's perspective on you know, you guys got to like pull your socks up and admit to some of this stuff cuz it's bad. Well, and it's so, so hard to imagine like living in a world where 
news moves as slowly mm-hmm. as it did back then. And mm-hmm. I guess we're starting to get to the point of news traveling globally now in, in like the 30s and 40s. But mm-hmm. like, it's so hard to imagine that a world where atrocities like that can happen and you don't find out for. Yeah, because no one's tweeting weeks. about it. Cause, yeah, because there it's it's wild. Yep. Yep, it's um, and and you can see why these countries were so confident they could get away with it. Yeah, and like did for a long time, um, for sure. So to get back to Europe a little bit, in July 1936, Italy supports our other friend of the podcast, Franco, who you may remember from our episode on Spain uh, during the Spanish Civil War. We've got some good friends. Good friends, good friends of the podcast <laughs> in this episode. In October that same year, Germany and Italy sign the Rome-Berlin Axis. In November, Japan and Italy sign the Anti-Comitern Pact. I think I spelled that right. In 1939, the Pact of Steel is signed, confirming friendship between Germany and Italy. So this is when the two of them get real buddy-buddy. We're working on their stuff here. Uh, However, Mussolini later confirms that Italy will not support the Pact of Steel if Germany attacks Poland. Then about a month later, Germany attacks Poland. Germany invades yeah. Poland. I was going to say that's that's step one of World War Two. Yeah, isn't that's it? the first thing that happens. <laughs> totally, a hundred percent. In response, Mussolini declares Italy neutral in World War Two. However, it does that's not, not remain last. this way. Yeah. In 1940, Hitler and Mussolini have a nice cozy chat where Mussolini says that they're just like waiting for the right moment to enter the war. They'll do it. They're just hanging out for a minute first. I want to just feel out the vibe a little bit before getting in there. (laughs) Exactly. Then Italy declares war on France and the UK uh, on June 10th, 1940. And Uh, is it just France and the UK that have signed on for the Allies at this point? I'm not sure. It's already 1940, so... Oh, so definitely at least Canada no, and shit's in there, yeah. Certainly, like, I mean, Canada got... Because we were English, Exactly, basically. like, we had Commonwealth no choice. is, yeah. is, is going to be in there, for sure, yeah. Yeah, for sure, and there are also a lot of... A lot of this is happening, too, in the colonies in Africa as well. No, I'm I'm surprised at this story. Like, Italy is... You know, in in a very simple history of World War II, Italy mm. is always cast as a very sort of steadfast ally of Germany. Yeah, and they were, but, but that's not what steadfast sounds like. No, it's they they were allies. It's not. Sure, I, I think it's just it's just easier to tell the story that way. Yeah, it's very complicated to do this, and I'm not even scratching the surface oh, here. Oh, for sure. Of all what happened and who the, talked to who and who signed what. The like, world wars are, are podcasts of their own. Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And um, there are many of those podcasts out there, I'm sure. Yes. So hilariously, a few days after declaring war on France, Italy then signs armistice with France. Um, Italy fights then a decent portion of World War II in sort of British held parts of Northern Africa. Okay. So that's kind of where most of Italy's fight happens. Most of. Uh, They also do some stuff in Greece, but this does not really go well for them. Again, they're not really, like, prepared for this and take some pretty heavy losses. Um, Italy mostly is booted from North Africa by about 1941. At this time, the U.S. enters the war, declaring and then being declared on by Germany and Italy. 
1943, Mussolini is having a bit of a morale problem because this war is not going very well for him. So Hitler visits again so they can have another cozy chat and maybe Hitler can like cheer Mussolini up a little bit. Give him a little hug. Yes. Then some stuff is going to happen on sort of mainland Italy, which I think is not really up to this point, at least significantly. So, like, it's not been a battleground so far. No, yeah. not really. But like now it is. Yeah, it certainly was a battleground. Yes, yeah. Yes. So, following an Allied attack on mainland Italy, there's a coup against Mussolini in July 1943, as people see an opportunity to make some changes. Yeah, and we're quite late in the war now, so I imagine yes. they're starting to see the writing on the wall. Totally. Uh, then also, though, this doesn't work out that great because he's just kind of reinstated by Hitler. Okay, yeah. Who's like, I'm just going to put him back um, to govern what is now being called the Italian Social Republic, which I think is a bit of a joke. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) that's what they called it. People in Naples have an uprising and in doing so free Naples from Germany's occupation. In October 1943, Italy then does a little flip flop, declares war on Germany. In 1944, most of the Allies have taken... Sorry, 1944. Sorry. Mostly what happens in 1944 is the Allies taking Italy back from the Germans. Yeah. Which I also didn't really know about this that much. It switched hands a lot of times. In essence, the whole thing is over by May 1945, but this doesn't stop them from declaring war on Japan in that July of that year. Like Italy does? Yes. Okay. Who knows? They're... All right. Yeah, whatever. Uh, and then finally, in 1947... Like with what stated goal? I don't... That is unclear. Okay. I can look into it for you if you want. Yeah, maybe. I've got a couple <laughs> questions for you. Probably. A lot happens here. Uh, then in 1947, Italy finally signs peace with the U.S. And that's kind of it for World War II. Right. Mostly. In 1946, a referendum vote allows Italy to become a republic instead of a monarchy, and the constitution is rewritten in 1948. This effectively leads us to the modern day, although there is still a lot of tension between left and right political parties. It continues through the 80s and 90s. Yeah, but there's only so much we can cover. For sure. And then the early 90s also see investigations into corruption in the government and mafia involvement. Okay. And all that fun stuff. Great. Which really... Brings us to the end of what we're going to talk about here. I have some fun facts for you. Amazing. Can't wait. So famous people. Rattle them off There are me. a There's lot gonna of There's going to be them. a whole bunch. I did not even scratch the surface because as is typical for me, I scroll these lists and I'm like, who the fuck are these people? So we're going to talk about some of them. I don't know. I've loved the countries I look at after you go and it's like, <laughs> oh, you just missed one of the most famous athletes I'm of all time. Sure. This doesn't, I don't really talk about athletes here. Sorry, everyone who likes athletes. Google it. I don't know. So, uh, some people. Marco Polo, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Galileo, fashion brands Armani and Gucci, Sophia Loren, film director Franco Zeffirelli, all the popes, pretty much, and like dozens of musicians, visual artists, directors, architects, engineers. This goes on and on. The Wikipedia pages, you could scroll for your whole life, practically. I'd be surprised even if Zeffirelli is like the go-to Italian film director. You're just a Shakespeare nerd. I just know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked I picked Zeffirelli. Um, fight me. I don't know. 
Look, you can do like a bonus episode on famous people that I missed. Okay. Okay. That'll be fun. Yes. It's going to be ours. Eight part episode (laughs) on all the famous people Kate doesn't know about or like didn't bother looking into. I'm pretty lazy with the famous people. I will admit to that also. So the flag is green, white, and red, as I think many people know. One of them Um, fucking striped flags. One of them striped flags, but at least it represents something. The green represents hope, the white represents faith, and the red represents charity. So that's cool. Cool. It is said that if you throw a coin into the Trevi Fountain, you will, like, come back to Rome another time. Okay. This is, I think, fairly well known, and I'm seeing, like, a clip of a movie in my head that I don't remember what it was. Right. One of those, like, 27 dresses-esque. Okay. I think. Anywho. So people actually... I think there's, there's one called When in Rome... Oh, maybe it's that. I've never seen it, but I know maybe it exists. It's maybe it's an older one. I don't honestly know. Somebody tweet us with the name of the movie that I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but people throw one million euros into the fountain every year. Wow. So that's a lot of money. Also, 20,000 people visit the Sistine Chapel every day. I, I thought you were going to say year, and I was like, that sounds incredibly nope. low. But yeah, 20,000 a day sounds day, about right. That's, that's amazing. Incredible. Uh, pizza was invented in Naples and is mentioned as early as 10 common era, but pizza sort of, as we know it has existed since about 1700. Oh, really that long? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Pasta has been eaten since four BCE and there are actually paintings of old pasta making equipment. However, the like noodle technology is originally from China probably. Yeah. So it like traveled and was adapted. And to like what ingredients were more available locally. As yes. Well. And yeah. now we have chow mein and spaghetti, which I think is pretty fantastic. <laughs> uh, I would like to talk fairly extensively about Italian meal structure because okay. this is amazing. All right. It's amazing. So people obviously don't eat like this every day or all the time. But, but you know, special occasions, nice restaurants. Yeah. So there are some courses. We're going to talk about them now. Oh, hell yeah. The first one is called <laughs> Aperitivo which is usually sparkling wine or Mm -hmm. champagne, and an appetizer of nuts, cheese, and olives. Antipasti follows this. This is hot food. No, sorry, not hot food. That's the next one. I was going to say, this is like olives. Antipasti, yes, is charcuterie with cured meats, cheese, bread, and sometimes cold fish. Primi is obviously your kind of first course. This is when the hot food rolls around, but usually no meat. Um, Often at this point, you will get luxury items like truffles or seafood. Often it's pasta, soup, risotto, or gnocchi. Followed by secondi, which is usually meat or seafood, depending on the region. Sometimes two dishes with a palate cleanser in between. Okay. Uh, sometimes you'll, so you'll have like meat first and seafood after, for example. Right. This is followed by contorni, which is like technically served with the secondi. Okay. At the same time, this is raw or cooked veggies served on a different plate so that the flavors do not contaminate right. each other. I kind of loved that because I'm a very like separate food person with yeah. some things. Anywho, uh, this is followed by insalata, which as you guess salad. is salad. Yep. Uh, I think unless your contorni included a lot of leafy vegetables and then sometimes it's different or you skip it. Okay. 
certainly some of these I'm familiar with, either from menus or, like, you know, we make cocktails sometimes, so aperitivo is a word I've seen many a time around cocktail recipes. This all makes, like, complete sense, and I think everyone is familiar enough with sort of Italian food that we're all like, okay, yeah, yeah, like, I've had... I've never had all of them in this order. That's so specifically. I'm not sure I have either. But like even in North America, if you go somewhere, you have coffee after. It's like, okay, that's fine. Anyway, next course is fromaggi e frutta, which I'm sure you can guess is cheese and fruit that complement each other. Yep. Seasonal fruit, usually. Uh, This is followed by dolce, which is dessert. This can be anything. This can be gelato, tiramisu, cake, pie, or more regional things what's all the, of the above what yeah what's the thing with the cream in it cannoli yeah yeah that i, I love, love that good cannoli oh, it's so good but you have to get good ones or else they're gooey and weird but we're doing gnocchi for our meal today yes we are this is then followed by cafe which is espresso usually served black and then finally digestivo which is an alcohol like limoncello amaro or grappa mm-hmm. that's the whole thing I think this is fantastic. I would love to do this whole thing one day. I'd love to um, try grappa. I've never had it. I don't really know what it is. It's like a fruit brandy. Okay. The I thing think. is, the thing is, I already know I like limoncello. Yeah, that's true. So and I'm it's kind real of easy to make. I'm kind of hype about that. So <laughs> we should make that again. Yeah, I'd be down. Anyway, so eating dinner at least starts late with dinner usually around like 9 or 10 p.m which is to allow for lots of time for aperitivo and to socialize and chat with your friends and like catch up on everything um it also takes a long time to finish eating the whole process is very slow yeah that's going to be a Um, several hours process yes which makes sense because there's so much food i read a fun quote that said and you want to let it all digest as you go absolutely the quote i read said that your appetite like grows as you eat kind of which i love the idea of that so i also have a fun um, anthem related fact which i was debating whether to put it in the anthem history or the fun facts and then it's all right we'll get into the anthem history soon anyway finally put it here so there was a display at the bolzano museum of modern art in italy that was just a toilet that played the national anthem when you flushed it that's awesome isn't it though i just i read that i was like no way but it's true not only that a little duchamp tribute (laughs) yes but there was also a court case to decide whether or not it was unpatriotic in the end, they decided it was okay. I was going to say, I feel like every time something like that's come up, they've wa- they've gone the right way and yeah. decided it's fine to actually have fun sometimes. But it seems that the police actually, like, came and, like, took away the toilet. Oh fucking God. So that there could be a court case with, like, the, the high court. also Not just, like, a civil thing. They went all the way up there and they tried the toilet, I guess, and it seemed it was okay, so they gave the toilet back. I love that. I... Well, there was one country we did recently where, like, uh, an artist had a whole trial with the country for doing a rock and roll version of the anthem. Yeah, very similar. Very similar. This also makes me think of that scene in Better Call Saul with the toilet that encourages... Oh, my God. I just watched that episode. It's so funny. (laughs) It's like, great job. I don't know. It gets really weirdly sexual, yeah. though. That's an incredible episode. Yeah, it's great. If you haven't seen Better Call Saul. Um, We're getting way off track here. I don't care. It's relevant. It's a toilet. <laughs> it's funny. Anyway, 
Later, we're going to talk about the anthem. Um, it's called Il Canto degli Italiani and also has two other names that we'll discuss, which translates to Song of the Italians. Okay, great. I have just a couple questions for you before sure. we go to our break. Are they complicated questions? Uh, no. Well, maybe one of them. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, so the first one, if you could clarify the mountain range and whether mm-hmm. it is the Alps that go sort of all the way across there, whether there's a different range involved. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, do we have on record any of Mussolini's old socialist writings? That's interesting. That might be like a big research project, but it, I will check. Just see if you can find me a yes or no answer. Sure. I'm just, I've got like visions of the reference library. I don't need you to find me the writings. I just want you to see if you can find out whether they exist. Okay. If you can't find out, it's okay. Okay. And then the last one is uh, like, why declare war on Japan mm. when everything's already over? Okay. And, like, did that end five months later, or did that seemingly nonsense war between Italy and Japan continue longer than that? Okay. I will look into it. Great. All right, then we will take our break and listen to the anthem. Okay, let's do it. Hello and welcome back. So we just listened to the National Anthem and we're going to talk about a couple things first. So for one thing, I'm going to answer your questions. Great. So to begin, um, the mountain range, it is still the Alps. Cool. It I kind thought of so. scraggles along. I had it in my head that it was much shorter than it no, actually is. No, it's a is. pretty huge mountain it's range. It's pretty huge. Yeah. Um, probably should have looked into that first, but anyway. And uh, with regards to Mussolini's old socialist writing... So I don't know if you can just like Google this and get the answer, but it does seem that there are archives. Um, California has an online 
thing. There is a Library of Congress listing, and U of T might have microfiche. I don't read Italian, so it's a little totally. like yeah. Eh, what's but it can yeah, be. Yeah, like I said, I didn't need you to like actually find the documents no, for me. I, and I didn't. I just but, wanted to know if they existed, and it at least seems like the answer is they yes. They do exist. You will also though get results from Mussolini's nationalist newspaper afterwards. Sure, of course. Because there was that too. Um, but I, have, I was like, totally unaware of his origin as a socialist writer. So I, yeah. I'm just interested to know whether or not his writings it's are still out there. Probably not something he bragged about a lot. That's in probably the heyday. Fair. I'll just sweep that under the rug and I hopefully mean, Hitler maybe will never it notice. was also, though. Like, yeah, the, they called themselves the National Socialist Party for a reason. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I don't know about that. We'd have to go back and ask him. Yeah. Dear Mussolini, friend of the podcast. <laughs> Please let us know. Um, and so as to the war on Japan, or with, Jap like, the declaration against Japan, um, this is actually quite interesting. So the two never saw action between each other. Right, because why the fuck would they? Well, they wouldn't, but they never fought. However, Italy did this in order to sort of, I'm going to quote Wikipedia here, to, quote, persuade the allies that the new government of Italy deserved to be invited to the San Francisco Peace Conference. So I guess they had a thing okay, afterwards. So basically just to be like, we're all the way on board. Yeah. We're not just partial allies. Exactly. Right. But it didn't even do them any good because they didn't get to go to the conference. They were left out. Churchill was like, mm, no. And then they didn't go to that. So, okay. But uh, at least at least that makes sense as the stated goal. For yeah. sure. For sure. So there, there was an intention there. It wasn't just completely at random, <laughs> which is good to know. So... Those are the answers to your questions. Great. Thank um, you. We're going to talk about the food. I love food. I love Italian food. Yep, a, me too. Pasta. The The real thing is like all these other countries we've done are like new and exciting things for us. And <laughs> like we've made pasta all those other weeks also just not on podcast day. We make pasta sure. all the fucking time. <laughs> so like this, this was... Not unfamiliar. This was no. we we got some real good ingredients but we and did we it made fun. some real good pasta. We went to the St. Lawrence Market, which if you hadn't been, you're visiting Toronto, would highly recommend. Um we bought some fresh gnocchi and well I guess it was frozen, but like made fresh and yeah. then frozen, not anywho. You understand. Um so we got that. We got a sauce that was like a like a triple whammy like tomato and pesto and cream sauce all kind of rolled into one thing, which is great. Yeah. A little bit spicy. And we cut up some chorizo sausage. Yep. And, and some shiitake and mushrooms. And some shiitake mushrooms and just ate the whole thing and it was great. It was great. Um, so I'm excited I get to take that for lunch tomorrow. We also had some Italian wine, which was delicious. Yes. And we got also some special like Italian olives that are pink. Yeah. And that was and cool. And they're so good. They're delicious um, and, and so striking to look at great so i'd recommend those too so let's talk a little bit about this anthem history it is a bit of a clusterfuck yeah i mean i just looking at the <laughs> wikipedia page like to get the lyrics i yeah. saw how much there was there so this is going to be like a slightly abbreviated version so it's sure. not to drive ourselves completely insane and this national anthem to begin for one thing goes by three different names so it is called like officially Il Canto degli Italiani, as we okay. heard, um, the song of the Italian people, the official name. It is also called Inno di Mameli, or Mameli's Hymn, which is named after the dude who wrote it. 
Okay. The lyrics. We'll talk about him a little bit more. And it also gets called Fratel, sorry, Fratelli d'Italia or Brothers of Italy, which right. is, I think, what most people call the anthem on like a day-to-day basis if you're just chatting with your friend. Sure. Um, it's also the first line of the anthem. Uh, right. Which you will notice. Uh, so. So like if, if Americans just casually called their anthem, oh say can you see. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. As we call ours, oh Canada. Perfectly lines up. <laughs> but it actually is the title, <laughs> yes. so it just doesn't work as an example. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. So the song was written in 1847 during the chaos that predates Italian unification, but it was only provisionally adopted as the anthem in 1946, so much, much later. Uh, the intention being to replace the royal anthem that didn't make sense now that it was a republic. Right, and similar to what we talked about with uh, Rwanda a couple weeks ago, like you can see why in 1946 Italy might be looking to make a bit of a blank slate statement. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It also, though, was not officially the anthem, because that first, that 1946 is only provisional. It was not officially the anthem until 2005. Really? Yes. So it's super recent. So, like, nearly 60 years as like an yeah. interim anthem before yeah. they finally decided to give it the permanent job. Yep. Before it like got <laughs> tenure or whatever. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It did its time as assistant professor. <laughs> so uh, the, the thing about that, we'll talk a little bit about why people, why it wasn't like instated immediately. Sure. As the full anthem, but the music you will hear is a traditional kind of a March style and critics are not super hype on it. A lot of really? Italian people are like, this kind of sucks. Not the common people, I don't think. Like, your average person on the street, I don't think, but feels like this way. But, like, your Italian highbrow music yeah. critic? Sure. Is my understanding. Uh, but people, as I say, the general crowd, they love it. They love it. And as you saw in the videos, it can get pretty rowdy. Which yeah, is certainly... Certainly highbrow music critics are not known for their ability to have fun. <laughs> no, that's fair. And this anthem is really fun. It's really fun. And I think the the rowdiness and general chaos is not something you can say about O Canada in any way, shape, no. or form. Um, you couldn't make that chaotic if you tried, which I don't know if people have, but anywho. Like, not so much musically, but I was getting, like, and this is really a, a very high compliment, like, I was getting shades of the Argentinian anthem yeah. listening to it, it in terms of the raucousness of the whole it's ordeal. It's true. It's true. So lyrics are written by Goffredo Mameli, who didn't honestly write that much else. He was only 22 at the time that he wrote the anthem and he actually died a few days or a few weeks later. Yes, or years later, unfortunately. Okay. There are five verses in the anthem and a chorus between each verse, but in the general practice of the thing People only sing the first verse and the chorus. Sometimes they sing the first verse twice and then the chorus. Yeah, we I did don't get know that why. Once, yes, uh, in the versions we listened to, but none of them sang more verses. No, it does happen. I don't know why you would sing the same one twice and not at least do the first and the second one. But you know, whatever stuff happens. It uh, also seems that some politicians tried to ditch the anthem because the music isn't that good and sort of like, quote, not up to the standards of Italian music. But politician Umberto Bossi said at one point that, quote, no one understands the lyrics anyway. So who cares? I mean, is his they point. Are... <laughs> 
they're pretty opaque. They are. They are. And he, this Boso guy is like, well, what are we going to change it to? Everybody likes it. Everybody knows it. What's the point? And I kind of agree with him on this. If people are into it, who cares? So the other kind of ironic thing is that some other anthems from South and Central America are actually by Italian composers okay. and are considered by the aforementioned highbrow musicians to be sort of more up to scratch musically than the Italian anthem itself, which is part of the reluctance to adopt it fully right. and officially. Had to do with 60 this. 60 years, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> had to do with this kind of it's not that good we could do better but no one cared enough to actually do it i kind of love it i kind of love it too i can see why people don't want to change it i think it's great so uh some of the the references you will notice in the anthem there's a lot of references yes they are extremely obscure i'm not going to talk about all of them but i am going to mention uh the scipio of the first verse yeah i i was sort of just like you know mouse overing some mm. of these links while i was reading the <laughs> lyrics so he was a general in the roman republic who gave hannibal a run for his money right okay and is remembered fondly for doing that it's overall quite a like a militaristic kind of a feel Sort of. The the music. I would say the lyrics more than the music, actually. Yes, the lyrics but, are very much like a call to arms kind yeah. of a thing. I think some people also had issues with the line that's like, we would die happily. It's like, but wait, wait, though, wait, hold on. <laughs> would you really? And I also just want to mention before we get into the ratings uh, that the music, this is kind of interesting. Music is by composer... Um, Maybe Michelle is how you say this. I think it's a man, though. Michelle Navarro. Okay. Who I believe... Well, okay, there's two stories. Two okay. versions. One version is that he was at a dinner party with Mameli. And Mameli just kind of, like, whipped up a few lines. And this other guy, Navarro, was like, I have a song for that. And that's how it came to be. The other thought is that they were friends. And so Mameli wrote some words. And then he went to go visit his friend, who is a musician. And they kind of put it together right that way so for once it's not a competition which is interesting and um we're not a hundred percent sure how it happened which is kind of interesting too popular and like is a patriotic song i think is really the other route to yeah, becoming I, the anthem i think so too um but i'm glad it exists i'm glad it's popular let's get into some writings yeah so the lyrics <laughs> They're hilarious, right? They're pretty fucking dense. Um, <laughs> like, it's hard to like keep it in your mind. It is. You read it and it's gone. The, this might be the first anthem that I'm gonna score really highly on historical significance mm -hmm. and not that highly on the lyrics themselves. Yeah, <laughs> because these are chock full of details. And, and, like, we like detail, but it's almost too much. Yeah, almost on, like, the Burkina Faso kind of yeah. direction <laughs> where they're they're writing the anthem with the thesaurus out. You need to be this an expert. One, this one is, like, rather than a thesaurus is a, a very large textbook of Italian history. Yeah, but, like, you have to be a historian to understand this. I do I think, don't know. <laughs> I do think there's some really excellent bits here. For sure. Though. I For think sure. the second verse, again, not it didn't get sung in any of the versions we listened to, mm -hmm. but I, I like how it 
confronts their history of being kind of late to the party yeah. as a country and how other people look down on them for it. For sure. Um, I liked that too. It was very specific to their situation, which is nice. I do like the way that every verse here has its own themes and its own purpose. Mm -hmm. And I like that none of the lines are simply stated, even if they take that maybe a little too yeah. far. I like that <laughs> there is effort being given here in a way that we've seen some anthems maybe they didn't quite labor as long over the lyrics yeah. as these ones clearly were. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. They did certainly not take the, we love our country, God loves our country, our country is yeah. good. And uh, It's like, look at all the wars we fought. It probably helps too that I, I believe, you know, there's quite a lot of Italian English translators out there. Yeah. And, and this is probably a better translation than we've seen for a lot of the anthems we've looked at. For sure. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But yeah, overall, I think these lyrics are really well intentioned mm -hmm. and a lot of effort went into them, but could have used an editor or two. Yeah. I think that sums it up very nicely. Uh, I'm going to go 6.5. Okay. Okay. I think that's very fair. And I'm going to go six because I've been staring at these things for a long time. Music. The music fucking slaps. It's so, okay. This is the thing that I love is how like peppy and joyful the music is. And the lines are things like we will happily go to our deaths. Yeah. That's fantastic. Repeat twice. Yeah. <laughs> like in case you didn't hear us the first time, we will happily go to our deaths. Where is victory? Let her bow down because as a slave of Rome, God created her. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's that's a power move, um, if nothing else. I Because I, I struggle to really count this as a lyric, uh, but it is such a magnificent musical flair of mm. this song. Yes. The, the shouted C you have at to the do end that. of the chorus... Oh my fucking god, it's amazing. Yes, that's the most important Every part. Every anthem should just go yeah. Shout yeah <laughs> at the end of it. It's I the think best. That would be great. Um it is it is very important. When you read about the anthem, everybody mentions that you have to yell see at the end. You have to do it. If you don't do it, it's wrong. You did it badly. I don't know. I uh I really enjoyed that first version that we listened to with the the young girl who sang the verse. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that really brought out the contrast between the verse mm -hmm. and the chorus better than the other two versions, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was so blown away mm -hmm. when we, when we jumped into that, uh, let us join in a cohort section. Yes. <laughs> like it had been so calm and, and beautiful mm -hmm. before that. And then all of a sudden we're so hype and then we're shouting. Yeah. Yeah. And like it just sweeps you up. It's exciting. It, it is. It is. I think it would be very hard not to participate if you were at an event and everybody was singing. It would be great. Yeah. And I that's, don't know. that's why I want to say these music critics that talk shit, like they just, they're just not fun people. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, of music, really like the music i'm gonna go maybe nine for this yeah i'm gonna go 9.5 okay and background there is one there's a lot which is really great yep. um 
and hard enough to find. It's a bummer that so much of the background seems to be all the smart people think it's dumb. It keeps coming up. They have this conversation every once in a while where they're like, should we keep this thing? And everyone's like, yeah. Uh, there is there is another country, I can't think of which, where uh, we were saying that the background story felt like a bit of a farce. And mm. that definitely applies here as well was in it, some places. Was it Iceland? It might have been Iceland. Where they sing that old, really difficult hymn that no one else can yeah. No one else can do. You have to be a professional to sing the national anthem with an enormous range. Anyway, no, it's great. But yeah, there's a lot of info there and it's it's quite interesting. I think I'm going to go probably a nine for the background story. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to agree with you on that. Significance. Okay, it is clearly like so significant that I can't eke out the significance. Like this is the first <laughs> anthem that has been so chock full of details that we didn't cover fucking any of them in the history we did. I mean, we talked about Hannibal. No, that's true. But we didn't talk about this specific guy. You know, the the Vespers, whoever this Legnano person is, like the there's so much going on in this anthem yeah. that, uh, like a couple before it, I would feel bad scoring it any lower than 10 on historical significance. <laughs> Even though we have no idea what's going on. Even though it's someone fucking does. Yeah, that's true. What's his name? Mameli. Yeah. He knows. Mameli knows a lot more about Italy than we do. I want to know if he just like knew this stuff or if he sat down and did some research and then wrote it. I mean, when was it written again? Uh... 18 something. Yeah. So 1847. If he was an educated writing person, he'd probably have been quite well educated yeah. in like the classics and stuff. That's true. That's true. Okay. I, the lyrics are very like thickly laid. I'm going to go nine for significance. X factor. This has X factor. Oh, it has so much. So X-factor. much X factor. This is a ten for me for X yep. factor right out the Again, gate. Again, no, okay. no other score I could in good conscience <laughs> give it. It's so no. It, it like I said, it sweeps you up. There's there's no way to listen to this anthem and not get swept up in the joy and energy of it all. Totally, totally. I love it. Um, I love how all the versions embrace that energy. Doesn't matter if it's instrumental or if it's live or anything. Everyone's... Yeah, even that violin version put a nice big amount and of flair onto the sea. He's clearly having a great time. Oh yeah, and everyone around him. And they've put a big bright production on around they him did. too. They like, did because yeah. they know you have to lean into this stuff. I feel if you're gonna do it. Yeah, easy ten for X Factor. Yeah. So let's add this up, and then we'll see what I'm doing next time. Great. So that gives us 88. That's a nice high score. That's really going to put high. it. Uh, I didn't open the list because I'm an idiot, I guess. Uh, but that'll put it in the top five easily. For sure. For sure. All right. Good job, Italy. And we will roll now to see what I'm going to get next week. Fantastic. Well, in two weeks. You two know what weeks. I mean. Yeah. Something very, very close to the end of the alphabet. Hit him with number 195. 190. Whoops. Scrolling. I can do that. 195 is the United Arab Emirates. Roll again. Roll again. That gives you 150. Okay. That is going to be Romania. Romania. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Interest. I feel like on this thing, I never get the ones I think I'm going to get. And I'm always thrilled anyways. You were, I, I will say you were going into this hoping for not another two-parter. Because you've was, gotten I was, pretty screwed lately. Because Spain and Italy are two big old heavy hitters with the <laughs> cheerful, cheerful story of Nauru squeezed in between. So, I mean, Romania... I don't imagine is going to be a total walk in the park, but it won't be a two-parter, I imagine. No, I imagine you are right. Uh, what are you doing next time? I am doing Denmark. Excellent. And we are going to have my good friend Sam on as a guest with us, and our our good friend and biggest fan, Nils, uh, making us Danish food. I'm really excited for that. Did we get something very wrong? Did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning? That's very likely, and we'd love to hear the correct version. Please tweet us at IAOUC podcast or send us an email at inallofuscommandpodcast at gmail.com. We record these episodes a bit in advance, so you may not hear a correction right away, but we're not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected.